This is Inside the Game brought to you by Flex Coach. We're talking with John Flaherty here on the show. So let's pick it up. You get drafted by the Boston Red Sox. You're, it was, what was it like? Where were you? Did they call you? I mean, was it exciting? You know, did you, did you think it was going to happen? You know, but what was your emotions? Was dad excited? Your, your, you know, your family, everybody was probably like, oh, my God, you're a Major League Baseball player. Yeah, so I was rumored to be drafted in the third to the sixth round. And, I, and you know, back then or today, well, not the draft is different today, but there were three days of the draft. And I didn't get picked on the first day. And right away, you know, the, the stubborn Irish Catholic in me, you know, I got pissed <laughs> off, right? So uh, my, old, my old man told me, he said, listen, before you go play in the Cape, I need you to paint the house. So when I found like out I was... <laughs> yeah, when I found out I was drafted by the Boston Red Sox, I was on a ladder on the side of my house painting, and my dad came out and said, "Hey, there's a there's a Boston Red Sox scout on the line," and it was Phil Rossi, who uh, was based out of um, Scranton, Pennsylvania, and Phil saw me at Bucky Dent's baseball camp when I was a senior in high school, and to his credit, he saw me play one game every year at GW. So he saw me play three college games. And the last college game I ever played at, he talked to me afterwards. It was at the Atlantic 10 championship game. And he said, how's your arm? And I said, my arm's not 100%, but it's getting better. And he said, that's all I need to know. And he walked away. Now, he was the one who put in a good word for me and the Red Sox drafted me in the 25th round, which you say was, was my dad excited? Was I excited? No. We were, we were ticked off, right? I mean, we were told we were going in the third to the sixth round. You drafted us in the 25th round. I was going to George Washington University, which was a, a great education and expensive school. So right away, I told Phil, I'm not signing. I'm going to the Cape Cod League. And that's what I did. I, I finished painting the house. Uh, I got in the car and I drove to the Cape. I was going to play for Harwich again. And that's where my mindset was. But the beauty of Phil Rossi, he went to work on my old man. And, and you could probably picture my old man, right? A, a big Irish Catholic dude, tough guy, yes. tough guy. And so what Phil Rossi did is he, he went to work on my old man. He called him every night, would call him at the same time. Mr. Flaherty, your son was the only catcher we drafted in the draft, right? And then the next night we'd call him up, Mr. Flaherty. Your last name is Flaherty. Your son's going to play for the Boston Red Sox in Boston with that last name. Then he would hang up. would call him the next night, Mr. Flaherty. I, you know, all these things. And finally, I had no idea about this. And finally, I was up in the Cape for about five days uh, working out with the team. And my dad calls me and says, hey, what do, you, what do you got on this Phil Rossi guy? And I said, Dad, I've known him since high school. He's a great guy I'm from what I know of him. And he said, yeah, I, I kind of like this guy. And he said, uh, you do what you want to do. He said, you need to promise me that you'll graduate from GW. The only thing your mom wanted from you was for you to graduate from college. I mentioned the academics for me. It had always been a struggle from high school to college. And he said, the, your mom wanted you to get a college degree. If you promise me you'll go back and graduate from GW, you can sign and play with the, with the Red Sox in the minor leagues. And it took the decision out of my hand. I got in my car. I drove back to Rockland County. I had a contract uh, FedEx to my house. I signed it, and I drove to Elmira, New York, and that's where the whole professional journey started. So you signed with, with the Red Sox, and you wind up in Elmira. Um, yeah. Did you think you had arrived? 
Or were you like, my God, I'm in Elmira. I'm in the middle of nowhere. You know, it's who knows? I'm ever going to get to Fenway Park. And what's going to happen to me? Um, and the competition gets tougher again. You know, and you're probably playing against younger guys who are probably yep. drafted, you know, like at 18, 19 years old. Um, <clears throat> what was it like for you the first couple of months or the first season in, in Elmira? When you're a 25th round pick at a George Washington University, Chris, I wasn't thinking about the major leagues. I was thinking, let's let's give this a shot for a few years, right? I mean, yeah. I got nothing to lose. I, I think I had they gave me five thousand dollars and they, you know signed a contract and went to Elmira. So my mindset and looking back on it, boy, did it help me. I had no expectations. I had no pressure. I I really went there with the whole attitude, like let's have a good time and see where this takes us because nobody expected me to be here. Nobody expects me to and it served me well. It served me really well in my minor league days. But getting back to your, your point, I remember the first workout we had, again, do I belong here? Can I play here? And I remember Tim Nearing, who was like, I think, an eighth-round pick out of Miami of Ohio. Man, he, you could tell right away, that guy, that guy's the best player out on the field. Uh, but we were all sizing each other up, and I ended up spending two months in Elmira, and I held my own. Didn't do great. But I, you know, I proved to myself, I said, I think I could play here. Um, and when I went back to spring training the next year, minor league spring training, that's where my career kind of took off because my shoulder finally got healthy again and I had a really good year. Playing catcher at that level, it's got to be tough because you're probably dealing with a lot of different variables. I mean, were you, you know, and there's guys above you. There's probably catchers above you, other, you know, other teams they have. Were you ever looking at the depth chart and saying, my God, this is going to be a hell of a climb for me if I ever really do make it. It's not going to be an easy thing for me. I was a 25th round pick, but, you know, I mean, that there's always that but there that I maybe have a shot to move up to, you know, high A, double A, triple A. You know, were you looking at it in those terms? Yeah, you're always paying attention to who's above you, who's behind you. Um, but I mentioned when I went back to minor league spring training the next year, I made uh, the Winter Haven team, Florida State League team, and I was a starting catcher there, and I had an all-star first half. And that's what kind of changed, I think, my career path because I started believing, all right, I could play at this level. I'm one of the best players out on the field. And I think the organization was like, wow, because we, we got something now because my arm came back full strength. And they, had, they hadn't seen that in Elmira or Instructional League. So then all of a sudden it was like I was now starting to gain some, uh, some buzz that maybe somebody who could move through the system. But to answer your question, I mean, I was drafted in 88. Eric Wedge was drafted in 1989. He was a third-round pick. He won the College World Series at Wichita State. And they were saying he was going to be the next Johnny Bench, right, playing for the Boston Red Sox. So right away, that's my competition. He's a year behind me. But that's, yep. that's who I'm going to have to beat out. And it's so funny how it works out in sports and athletics. Um, Eric and I became great fr friends, uh, great competitors. He could really swing the bat, and I struggled offensively. I could really catch and throw, and he struggled defensively. So in a weird way, we were helping each other, but still competing for the same spot, right? And, uh, you know, the one thing you don't realize when you're in the minor leagues with one organization there are 29 other teams, right? There, you know, you have opportunities all over the place. Eric, you know, got picked up in the expansion draft and went to the Colorado Rockies, and I made my way to the Boston Red Sox. But 
in a weird way, we were competitors. We turned out we were great friends today. So uh, it's the beauty of sports sometimes. How is the climb? Is it is it a very is it a grind to go from like low you know A ball to double A to triple A to the majors? I mean, how do you stay focused? You're playing every day. You're you know, and you've got to be in it every day. I mean, we had Tom Glavin on, and Tom really had a very interesting philosophy behind it. He said, when you're a pitcher in the major leagues, a third of the time you're going to be unhittable. A third of the time you're going to be awful, and a third yep. of the time you got to figure out that 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 third third of it because that's where you either make the major leagues. That's the difference. Or, yep, and that's the difference. How do you stay focused on? How do you stay focused through the grind? Well, you say the grind, right? And and yeah, the minor leagues—they're terrible. But I already mentioned to you my whole attitude. I'm not going to be here very long. Nobody expects me to do anything. Uh, let's have a good time with this. And and I'll also go back to not playing baseball year round when I was really young. By the time I got to the minor leagues, I I was loving it, right? I mean, I'm playing 140 games a year. Um, I'm training in the offseason to play another 140 the next year. So I, I loved it. I loved every minute of doing the work. I loved the playing. And I was I was energetic and ready to do it. But it wasn't a grind because I didn't, I didn't have any expectations. I was like... <laughs> let's let's see what happens and you know my my minor league my minor league journey was was probably a little different i mean i went from short season a ball elmira the next year i'm in long season with the florida state league and a ball the next year i skip double a and i go all the way to triple a right in 1990 i'm one step away from the minor leagues a year and a half out of gw and i'm saying and completely overmatched right i mean i'm playing against men now who have yes. played in the major leagues, prospects and and veteran veteran players, and I, I wasn't ready. I was overmatched. Uh, the next year, they sent me back to Double A, right? So I go to Double A the next year, take a step back. Who gets a Triple A job? Eric Wedge. So again, there's that competition thing. And my beautiful sister Jennifer Gilbert, now Jennifer Flaherty, back then, when I got sent from Triple A back to Double A, I mean that was one of those moments. Like, okay adversity is really hitting and she called me on the phone and she said you got to take a step back in order to leap forward so you just took your step back and I had a great manager at double a by the name of uh, Gary Muggsy Allenson Gary Allenson who was an old catcher um, and the first day I was in double a he came up to me and he said okay he said you got screwed over but he said how are you going to handle it he said you could you could pout you know for a month and have a get off to a bad start or you can take it and show them they made a mistake and, and get off to a great start. And within five minutes, my attitude changed from being ticked off to, okay, let's go. And I had a great, great couple of months in double A. And the next year, well, wasn't supposed to be in the big leagues, but I was on the opening day roster when John Marzano hurt his shoulder. So the, my minor league career was, yeah, I got elevated quick, then had to take a step back. And as my sister was, was right in her prophecy, Sometimes to take a step back, you got to leap forward, and I leap forward the next year to the big leagues. What was that like for you <clears throat> to be told you're going to be on the opening day roster for the Red Sox? I mean, were you just like over the moon? We're like, oh my god, I can't believe this happened. I mean, you know, what was because uh, you walk in, you know, in all the years I've worked, walked into ballparks at the major league level, it's like walking into a cathedral. The average person doesn't get to do that, you know, from what our world is. I mean, what was that like for you? Being, you know, Fenway, the historic of, of, of the history of Fenway is just amazing. Well, 
Yeah, you're probably sensing a common theme about my journey. It, nothing was as straightforward as you would think it was going to be. So I made it all the way through spring training in 92 with a chance to make the team and then was told on the last day, John Marzano's shoulder's fine. Uh, he's going to be on the opening day roster. You're, sending, you're sent back down to AAA. So I drove a 1984 Chevy Cavalier mini wagon <laughs> with wood, wood paneling on the side all the way from Winter Haven, Florida, back to Rockland County, New York on a Monday to watch my younger brother play a high school baseball game at Albertus Magnus. Right, I was, That was the pit stop before I was going to go to Pawtucket, Rhode Island, which is AAA. I went out that night on a Monday night with all of my buddies from home. Uh, probably had a little too much, uh, enjoyed myself a little too much. And I got a phone call on Tuesday morning from Lou Gorman, uh, I the, Lou. Ge the general manager of the Boston Red Sox. And it was like 1030 in the morning. He said, how far are you from Yankee Stadium? I said, it's about a half hour away. He said, well, John Marzano's shoulder is not good. We're activating you for opening day. Yankees, Red Sox at Yankee Stadium. And you have to be at the stadium in two hours, right, for opening day. So, I mean, that's how quickly it changed. Now, I'm hungover, first of all. I <laughs> like Mickey Mantle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I walk into the kitchen, and it was one of the few times that my tough Irish Catholic father and I actually shared a hug, right, when I told him the news. I jump in that 84 Chevy Cavalier mini wagon, and I'll, I'll tell you why I keep bringing that up in a minute. And I drive to Yankee Stadium. Now, I'm on the Major Deegan. It's opening day, Red Sox-Yankees. So you can imagine all of the traffic outside oh. of the stadium. So I literally am on the Major Deegan bumper to bumper. And I can see Yankee Stadium off to the left. Now, it's 1230 for a 1 o'clock start. And I get out of my car and I go up to one of the police officers who's directing traffic said, you're not going to believe this, but I just got called up by the Red Sox. I said, I got to get in that stadium before first pitch. He looks at the 84 Chevy Cavalier mini wagon with the wood paneling down the side. <laughs> and he like looked at me and said, there's no way. So I said, you know what? You're right. I walked in the back of that, that mini wagon and I took out my catcher's gear, which had the Red Sox all over the side. And I showed it to him and his eyes lit up. And I don't know if you remember the old stadium, you know, when you, you would get your way down from the Deegan or up to the Deegan. Yep. He blocked traffic out the wrong way and a one way. And I'm literally going down like by the sidewalk and I make my way into the player's parking lot. And when I looked up, I could still see him at the Deegan. And he's kind of giving me a thumbs up as I grab my stuff and I walk into Yankee Stadium at a quarter to one. I sign a contract and Lou Gorman, God bless him. He's like, John. It's a standard contract. There's no BS going on here. Sign your name. They're introducing the team in like five minutes. So I literally put on a jersey, and Joe Cochran, the, the clubhouse guy, a great guy, he's like, Flash, you got to get out there. You know, they're introducing a team. I literally walk to the dugout, and Bob Shepard, I hear say, you know, number 15, John Flaherty. <laughs> and I'm standing out on the third baseline, standing next to Frank Viola, looking yep. at 56,000 people, and I'm going, how, how did this happen? I mean, I was in my house hung over two hours ago. <laughs> now I'm standing on the third baseline uh, looking up this crowd, and I was a big leaguer, and that's how, that's how quickly it happened. Crazy. Now, when did you actually get into play? Like a couple of days later to get you into the lineup? No, so there was a chance on that opening day 
that uh, Tony Pena was a starting catcher. I was a backup, and he hit a double. It was on second base. They should have pinch ran for him, but Thompson was the manager. And he actually told the media after the game, he said, I, the kid showed up five minutes before game time. There's no way I could have put him in his first major league game. Um, so I ended up, I ended up catching uh, the first game of a doubleheader, maybe the second game, I'm not sure, like 10 days later. So it took me a long time to, uh, to get my first game action, which was the worst, right? You just wanted to get in there. You wanted yeah. to get it over with. Um, and I ended up catching Matt Young on uh, the first game of a doubleheader. He actually threw a no-hitter, and we lost. Uh, that was my first game playing in the major leagues, which was crazy. Were you at Fenway, or were you, uh, were you somewhere no, else? No, we were at the old uh, municipal stadium in Cleveland. Oh. So that was, that was before Jacobs Field, right? Yep. And, and the Indians were that young and up-and-coming team with Albert Bell and Kenny Lofton and Jim Tomei, all those guys. They hadn't quite gotten to the point to the new stadium where they started winning. So it was uh, it was an interesting beginning to my big league career, to say the least. When you stepped in behind home plate to catch in that game, were you, were you like, did you take a did you take a moment to pause and just look where you're like, I'm actually doing this. Like people told me I'm never going to be here, and now I'm here. Or was it like I got too much to do? I got to worry about this game. I got to worry about you know the whole thing. I was just you know. How were you? Like, was, was that the kind of a thing? Like, you, some guys have said to me, like, I stood there and took a pause for a minute to, like, yeah. You know, Tom Glavin said when he pitched, he pitched his first game in the Houston Astrodome, and he yeah. said I went to the mound, and the manager just told him, you know, when he was walking out, I forget who it was, don't screw this up. He goes, <laughs> I walk out to the mound, and there it's like there's forty five, fifty thousand people staring at me. I'm warming up. He said I took yeah. a pause for a minute, like, oh my god, I'm here, you know, or is, or is it just you had to get right into the game. Well, I wonder if Tom said this at all. I was petrified. God, he was a little bit, yeah. Completely petrified. And I'll never forget it. I, I get back behind the plate, and Matt Young is throwing his warm-up tosses. And, Chris, I'm having trouble throwing the ball back to the pitcher. I mean, my whole life, the one thing I could do is throw a baseball, right? I, had, I mean, I, I could throw it hard. I was accurate. Um, never had a problem. I, I couldn't – I'm like – shot putting this ball back to the mound i'm so nervous and veteran <laughs> veteran umpire richie garcia god bless oh. him comes down behind me he's taking a look at matt young and he said how we doing kid and i said uh i said i am so nervous right now i can't throw the ball back to the pitcher and he said you know what we're gonna get through this together and he put his arm on my shoulder said we'll get through it together you're gonna be fine and i was like all right. You know, and all of a sudden I loosened up a little bit. And then, you know, what comes back to you is what you've been doing your whole life, right? Yep. You're behind the mask. You're working with a pitcher. And once that game started, the nerves went away. I was excited. I had that adrenaline and that energy, but the nerves went away. Um, and I was able to get through that game. I hit a double my first at bat and got that out of the way. Um, but I, I don't think I really ever took a moment until after that game was done when I was sitting in the bullpen during one of the games, I think at Fenway Park, and I kind of just sat there and looked at the green monster and said, wow, wow okay, I'm, I'm here. And to be quite honest with you, the Red Sox were rumored to be you know, trading for a backup catcher. So every day I showed up, I'm like, ah, I'm probably going to be sent down, you know, like yeah. never thought it would, it would last. And 14 years later, I retired. So uh, I, I always had a, kind of that anticipation that it's never going to last to enjoy every day. 
And I think that attitude served me pretty well as, as well. So did, when was the first time like dad and your family came to see you actually play in a game? Well, they were there at opening day at Yankee Stadium in 1992. Uh, they, they just made it to see me get introduced. Uh, so they didn't get to see me play until Fenway Park uh, after I played in Cleveland and then went back to Fenway. But, you know, the beautiful thing about my dad is he was a, he was a salesman, right? So he, he used to be driving his car all the time. So there would be times I'd walk out for batting practice at Fenway Park, and there's my old man sitting in the, in the bleachers, right, hanging out. And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, I just thought I'd drive up here to, to take, you know, three and a half hours to Fenway from yep. Rockland County, right? Mm -hmm. He'd be sitting there hanging out, um, you know, have a few beers. He, he got to be friendly with all the ushers there, so they, they hooked him up with, with great seats. And then after the game, he'd give me a little wave and he'd drive back to Rockland County. So uh, <laughs> he, he loved he loved every minute of it. He loved every minute of uh, being a Flaherty in Boston and uh, being part of the Red Sox. He, he loved it. We're talking with John Flaherty here on Flex Coaches Inside the Game. We'll have more after this. Please join us for part three of three of our series on your favorite streaming platform. 